Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. That's me. I'm Bill Barnwell. I'll be joined by my friend Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus today. Talk about the Josh Allen and Michael Thomas news and which players might be on the move before the 2021 NFL season begins. But before we do that and get into today's episode, I wanted to quickly tell you about Mike Greenberg. You may have heard of him quite a famous person. He's the host of Greenie on ESPN Radio. He's keeping you up to date on NFL training camps and all things related to the NFL. So check out Greenie on ESPN Radio weekdays from 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time or listen to the podcast of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Also, for ESPN Plus subscribers, you can join in the ESPN Plus Fantasy Football League now for a chance to win $250,000. I haven't done the math. That pays for a lot of ESPN+. Plus. So sweepstakes is US only, 18 or older. So sorry if that does not fit you, but no purchases necessary. I'm assuming you have to pay for ESPN+, Plus though. So no purchases necessary, but you have to have ESPN+. Plus. So visit ESPN.com slash ESPN Plus football rules for full details and official rules for this contest. And now here's Doug Kai talking about the NFL and all things breaking news when it comes to this summer's preseason action. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show to talk about some NFL news, someone we've had on the show before in his former role as the Patriots beat reporter for Nesson. He is now a national NFL reporter for Pro Football Focus. Yes, PFF making an appearance on the Bill Barnwell Show. Very exciting and very excited to have Doug Kide on the show. Doug, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Bill? I'm great. Uh, I have a lot of football stuff to discuss with you. And like, it's sort of like the last week or two before we get to like real football and injuries and actual stuff happening. There's still a lot of like contract stuff or weird injury stuff, as opposed to like (laughs) injury suffered during games that we're actually watching. So we have a lot to get to, and I wanted to have you on talk about this from you know, the broader league perspective and and what you see happening. Because I think there's some stories here that are going to have an impact on other players and other teams around the NFL. And the first one that comes to mind is the Josh Allen contract, where, of course, uh, earlier this week, Josh Allen signs a absolutely massive <laughs> extension. I mean, six years, $258 million and $34,000. I don't know why he got like a Kia <laughs> uh, thrown onto the end of the contract, but that's cool. Good for him. Um, I mean, a massive deal for Josh Allen for a guy who one year ago, you know, I, I think was being seen as a guy maybe on the rise, but certainly not a finished product. Certainly not someone who would expect to get a, you know, sort of a smaller version of the Patrick Mahomes deal. So let's just start with, with the impact on the bills themselves, Doug. I mean, from your perspective, as someone who did see Josh Allen pretty closely, you know, covering the Patriots, watching him over the past few years, do you think the Bills are being too hasty or unreasonable in making this sort of commitment to their star quarterback? I think my initial reaction is no, but this is a very unique situation because I was basically, I looked through all of the, the PFF grades for quarterbacks that have received extensions really over like the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And Josh Allen is, as I said, a very unique case where his grades to start his career were 64.1, 65.3. Last season, Mm 90.3. So way different from any other season that he's had in the past. Clearly a player on the rise, tons of natural skills. I think that we are assuming that the Josh Allen that we saw last season is the Josh Allen that we will see moving forward. Mm -hmm. But given his track record, given the 2018 and 2019 seasons, we don't know that for certain. And I was actually even just trying to find a player similar to Josh Allen who was graded so lowly and then just had this this monster score out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And Bills fans aren't going to love this, Uh but the best example I found, and clearly it's not a perfect example, but it was actually Case Keenum. Case Keenum was fantastic in 2017 for for him. Very below average starting quarterback before then, Mm -hmm. and then obviously fell back down uh, towards towards the mean for him. But really, there there hasn't been another case where there's a quarterback who's improved so substantially Mm -hmm. in one season 
received the contract extension. That being said, about Josh Allen, for a quarterback who's coming off a season and gets a contract extension, he actually has the highest PFF grade for a quarterback, even higher than Patrick Mahomes the year before he signed his contract wow. extension. Um, after that, it would be Der- Derek Carr and Dak Prescott, all these other guys. So that is a good sign. The fact that the track record's there makes this, uh, I'll keep using this word, a very unique situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who, after you account for the era involved, I mean, he had the single largest improvement in completion percentage in the history of the National Football League for a starting quarterback. I mean, this is a very special, you know, uh, a very special situation, a very special player. And I I guess I'm not surprised because it it certainly seems like Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, who has, of course, done an excellent job since leaving Carolina and joining the Bills, Brandon Bean's repeatedly bet on Josh Allen. I mean, this is a guy who traded up for Josh Allen in the first round in 2018, uh, a guy who has surrounded Josh Allen with talent, a guy who has, you know, not done anything after the first two years to really challenge Josh Allen. And Josh Allen, of course, has delivered on that promise and was awesome last year. So I guess maybe it shouldn't be a surprise that this team that's repeatedly sort of invested in Josh Allen uh, is doing so again here. But it's a lot of money and, and it's a long time too. Like I think, you know, maybe, maybe you never want to say never. There is maybe a way they could get a bit quicker, but realistically, unless Josh Allen, you know, doesn't beat up multiple teammates and get kicked off the team or something, this is a five-year commitment. And in the, in the NFL, the only other guy who's gotten a real significant commitment this long is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, like, what do you think the chances are that this blows up in Buffalo's face over the next five years? I, I think it's pretty low, but I, I just, you can't say that for certain. I say, I'd say that you would say for certain that the Patrick Mahomes deal was not going to blow up in the chief's face. This just does not have that same degree of certainty. And uh, one, another player who I guess I would somewhat compared to this situation although once again it's not perfect just given what we thought of these players in the final year of their their rookie deal before signing these extensions is that jared goff once upon a time also did look like a player on the rise in 2018 he was a much different player than what we've seen in 2019 and 2020 so i'm not saying that josh allen and and jared goff are are overly similar quarterbacks but i even carson wentz he looked like he was a player on the rise early in his career. Mm-hmm. And clearly that did not go well uh, either. So I, you know, the, the most simple way to put this is that he's somewhere between Jared Goff and Carson Wentz and Patrick Mahomes, because he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's clearly better than the other two. And the way I would put it is I would put him much more heavily towards the Mahomes side at this point than Goff and Wentz, but mm-hmm. there is still that chance that this is a deal where, you know, in two, three years, they're regretting it and they don't have the same type of recourse that the Rams and Eagles did uh, with Wentz and Goff at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody batted an eye when the Rams locked up Jared Goff or when the Eagles re-signed Carson Wentz. I don't think anybody expected those teams would be getting out of those deals so quickly. And yet, Last offseason, both those teams were pretty aggressive in getting rid of both of those contracts. And so when you start thinking about what the Josh Allen contract means for the rest of the NFL, I guess I start thinking about the other quarterbacks from this draft class. We know Josh Rosen is not going to be signing an extension. We Sam Darnold, you know, obviously very much up in the air. I mean, certainly uh, a guy who has to prove himself with Carolina to get a big deal. But Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield are guys who are coming up for extensions this summer. Uh, This is the first time they're eligible alongside Josh Allen. And before the Patrick Mahomes deal was an outlier. Like there was only one contract like that where you had multiple years guaranteeing in advance. You had, you know, a structure that was designed to keep a guy around for a long time. Most of the other contracts in the NFL were the Dak Prescott deal or the Deshaun Watson deal um, where they were shorter contracts with big bonuses up front. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. So, with Lamar Jackson, with Baker Mayfield, now that this Josh Allen deal is signed, do you think it makes it harder for those contracts to get done? Or is it easier now that there is a framework for the Josh Allen deal to get the Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield extensions done with those two teams? I think it's easier on, on the player's side and potentially more difficult on the team side. So mm-hmm. I guess I would, I would put that in the more difficult category. Uh, the issue I'd say with both those players is that they just weren't as good as Josh Allen last season. Mm-hmm. And Lamar Jackson clearly was in 2019, but then, I mean, he, he did, he took a step back in, in 2020 uh, and Baker Mayfield has never been on that level of Josh Allen. So if they're willing to accept that they're not Josh Allen and that they aren't going to get that same degree of guarantees and they aren't going to get that, that same length of contract, mm-hmm. then I think that something can be figured out. Um, but I could also see from their side saying, well, if we have a fantastic year this year, and we can prove that we deserve as much or more than Josh Allen, then is that worth the risk of bombing or getting hurt or, or whatever it is? But I would say that the majority of time, these deals do come for quarterbacks before that fourth season, especially if it's a player in the first round. One of the, the major outliers, and it wasn't a, a player who was drafted in the first round, but Dak Prescott has really been one of the few guys who's gone to that, that franchise tag mode. Mm-hmm. So that would be the next course of action if something can't get done now, is that now you're dealing with the potential where you have to franchise a guy for a few years. And for Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, if they realize that, that that might be what's coming for them, then yeah, it might just make more sense to sign a slightly lesser deal than what Allen took just to make sure that they're getting that guaranteed money and that they're not locked into these franchise tag contracts like Kirk Cousins was and like Dak Prescott was. Mm -hmm. In terms of this newer sort of deal, the Mahomes deal to a lesser extent, the Josh Allen deal, if quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson or Baker Mayfield do insist on saying, actually, no, I want that style of contract. And, you know, typically the guy who signs, most recently is the one who gets the most money. So I want a little more than Josh Allen. Do you think that makes it more likely that there might be a team out there that will say, actually, no, we're good. Uh, We're going to let you play out your deal and maybe franchise you and then move on and get a new quarterback when we're done because we don't want to make that kind of commitment. Or do you still think that it's sort of status quo and just that teams, when they have a quarterback who they think, you know, is capable of winning them a Super Bowl, which I think the Ravens and Browns both think about their starting quarterback now. Like, do you think that will still be a case where they're going to give that guy a contract, even if he is uh, maybe a little stubborn about it? Ultimately, I think they will. Ultimately, I think that that's the decision that they make. But I can also understand, you know, the level that these contracts are at right now. And then, as we said, just this offseason, we saw the Jerry Goff and Carson Wentz deals blow up in the Rams and Eagles' faces. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if I would put Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield in, in the same category that those players were when they signed their contracts, but you do have to realize that there is some degree of risk involved there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the Rams figured it out because they got Matthew Stafford, but the Eagles, I think most people are expecting them to be the worst team or the worst team in their division this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they have something in Jalen Hurts, but there's, there's definitely a, a possibility that they don't. So I, I think that, it depends on how NFL teams weigh that risk. And I think that they'll probably wind up being more risk averse and, and making it work with those quarterbacks and maybe Mm -hmm. overpaying them just to make sure that they do have that guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I think that first team is going to basically put everyone's job on the line. Like (laughs) if, if you're the, if you're the team that gets that wrong, 
you are in serious trouble. And we saw with, with Washington. I mean, when they let Kirk Cousins go, yeah. like that did not turn out well. Maybe it turned out fine for the organization in the long run, but not turn out well for the people who were in charge at that time. Um, so Josh Allen, I mean, obviously last year uh, has changed dramatically, gone from being a question mark to being a franchise builder, a, a absolute superstar in the other direction has gone Michael Thomas, where heading into the last year, Michael Thomas was the, I think, unquestioned number one receiver in football, coming off of multiple spectacular seasons, had just signed a big deal with the New Orleans Saints, was going to be a building block for them, and things have not gone well. High ankle sprain, suffered late in week one, uh, really hindered him last year, of course, gets into a fight with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, is suspended for a game, goes on IR, goes back off IR, and then this offseason has gone worse. So, so what's changed? Or, you know, obviously, Michael Thomas has undergone surgery on his ankle, but what happened uh, reportedly here over the past few months that led to what seems to be some serious uh, friction between the organization and their star wide receiver? Yeah, it seems like there's a, a disagreement that yes. stemmed from ju- just purely when this injury even happened Mm -hmm. because it happened week one in garbage time. And I think that from what we can tell from Twitter likes and some of the reporting from, you know, Jeff Duncan and Nick Underhill is that Michael Thomas felt like he shouldn't be in that game in the first place and shouldn't Mm -hmm. have actually gotten injured in the first place. And then the team seemed to want him to wait on the surgery because they thought that they might still be able to win a Super Bowl in Drew Brees final season then that pushed the surgery off until the end of the season. Uh, and then that's when I guess the crux of this issue comes because clearly he should have had this ankle surgery much earlier in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, he reportedly lost contact with the saints for what was it? Three months uh, finally had the surgery in June. And now they're at a place where they don't have him for half a year. And I, I hate to drill the saints on this, too hard because they usually seem to make it work but that cap issue that they're always in where they're right up against the cap and over the cap and all of these things really forced them to build their team this season um not very structurally sound i guess Mm -hmm. i would say they had the starters in place very little depth and now you're already seeing that come to a front because there's basically nothing behind michael thomas at wide receiver and now they've got questions at the quarterback position as well with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. And it seems like until Michael Thomas comes back and who knows what's going to happen with Deontay Harris, because I, I think that he had a, a DUI earlier this off season. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if those quarterbacks are going to be in a very good place, no matter who's playing because they have essentially no wide receivers to throw to. It's, yes. it's really a messy situation. Yes. It's not ideal. If you're the new Orleans saints, we'll get to the cap situation in a minute here, but yeah, I, I mean, there's such a, you know, we, we've seen players be frustrated with their teams before in the media. I mean, I don't know how many times uh, a player has deleted all the photos of him on a team off of his own Instagram or <laughs> started liking someone else, like, which is great. Like, it really hits that sort of, you know, live journal drama side of me from being a teenager. But this is, this is pretty pointed. Like, Michael Thomas, when that story came out from Jeff Duncan, um, tweeted out a didn't tweet out the text tweeted out as an image for some reason quote unquote they tried to damage your reputation you saved theirs by not telling your side of the story now with the situation you met you mentioned where there's uh the cap situation we can get to in a minute but in terms of the talent they currently have on the roster this is a team where the starting receivers for the 2021 new orleans saints regardless like you said if who's at quarterback Looks like it's going to be Trey Quan Smith, Marquez Calloway, and Adam Troutman. I mean, do the Saints have any choice in terms of their talent, in terms of their chances of competing beyond trying to mend fences with their star wide receiver here? I, they might only because Elvin Kamara is so talented. And if they could get a quality player back in a trade whether that is another offensive player, whether that's another defensive player. I don't think that – I basically think regardless, the Saints aren't going to be that good. But 
if they structure their offense in a certain way, if Adam Troutman can take a step forward this season, um, if Alan Kamara could be as, as good as we expect him to be, then they can, uh, I don't know, they, they, can, they can tread water to a certain extent this season. I would say that from a pure football standpoint, Michael Thomas not on the field for half the season already, if he's not here at all, I think that Jameis Winston is the better answer at quarterback. But if they have no wide receivers, which they already don't, and if they're going to go super run heavy with Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, they've got Devontae Freeman in there, then does it actually just make more sense at that point to start Taysom Hill since Mm -hmm. he's the better, he's the more mobile quarterback and he's the one who can maybe make things a little bit more unpredictable with option runs or or simply just with his feet? I mean, I know that's kind of a, it's not the best question to ask, but I think that it puts him in a better situation at that point. I think it's a totally legit point, and I agree with you. I do think Taysom Hill, you know, in that offense, if you have just nothing at wide receiver, I'd rather go to a more run-heavy attack. I'd rather play to your strengths. I mean, Brandon Thorne um, listed the Saints offensive line as the best in football recently when he ranked the offensive lines, and I, you know, whether they're number one or, or towards number one, they're great. So absolutely, I think the injury makes it more likely and more, more logical that Taysom Hill would start. I mean, to you, whether it be a draft pick, whether there's a player that comes to mind to you, um, what would a fair trade in terms of talent look like for Michael Thomas? I think, I think just given the contract that a new team will get, I know that we'll get into some of the cap stuff a little bit later, but just looking at what's left on Michael Thomas's deal, he's, he only has a $1 million contract in 2021. Mm-hmm. So whatever team acquires him would only have to pay him a million dollars. Then uh, for two years, it would be 16.8 million, three years, 33 million, four years, 52.9 million. So mm-hmm. throughout the course of his contract, he's going to be extremely affordable for whichever team acquires him. Yes. And that makes him more valuable. Plus the Saints just spent so much money to, to extend him that they definitely have to get something for him. So I would say, at least a first round pick. If you're just dealing with a, with a draft pick, maybe a, a first and a third, first and a second, something like that. Or if there's a player coming back, a player like, you know, CJ Henderson, who's uh, uh, potentially on the trade block for the, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, 2020 ninth overall pick, maybe you get CJ Henderson in a second round pick mm-hmm. or something to that extent. I think that that's probably the most fair thing that you can do at this point. I know that usually in this, these situations where a player is very unhappy and there's this divide between the player and the team, he can be had for a little bit more of a bargain in this situation. The bargain is the contract. I think that you still have to give up significant capital to acquire that player on that contract at this point. Yeah. I mean, you're, I think you're looking at the Odell Beckham deal and, and the Stefan Diggs deal where they're both similar in terms of guys who had been signed to extensions um, who were on their way out uh, of those particular organizations the Giants had more leverage with Beckham because they had said, hey, we're not going to trade this guy. And then six months later, decided to trade him. But like in both cases, those teams had already paid signing bonus. They'd already paid um, a decent portion of the extension. So those guys were cheaper than they would have been on the open market to their new team. So I agree. I mean, I, I think that's what makes sense on paper. I don't think for the Saints, you can really deal him for much less. But at the same time, I mean, this is a guy who has not been healthy on the football field since 2019. And I, you know, if you're a team that needs a wide receiver, I'd be scared. I'd be really scared to trade a first round pick for a guy who, you know, it, it has now been dealing with a serious ankle injury for over a year. Um, doesn't mean he can't get past it. Doesn't mean he can't overcome it. But we've seen players in recent years, as you know, Doug, with high ankle sprains who have dealt with the injury, tried to play through it, and then not been the same guy after uh, getting back on the football fields. No, it's absolutely true. And, and people, you know, I think that I, I saw someone make this point. I think it was on Twitter lately, or, or maybe it's on a podcast that, you know, you think of, Oh, it's a sprained ankle. How bad can it be? But if it is a high ankle sprain and if it's severe enough, I mean, it's not that much different than tearing a ligament in your knee, you know? Um, and yeah, high ankle sprains are extremely painful. And if they're not treated or if you can't rest on it then that is something that can linger for a very long time so it's not only his dissatisfaction that you have to deal with it's also the injury and the fact that i mean quite honestly michael thomas has been 
pretty much a wild card with Marlins for the last couple of years. You mm-hmm. referenced it earlier, the the fight that he had and he got the suspension. Um, I don't think that that's the only issue mm-hmm. that that is there in New Orleans. Um, I think that there there have been other things that have been smaller pop up and, and that's a guy that you kind of have to tiptoe around a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, there's a lot of risk involved but at the same time when he's on, clearly he is one of the very best wide receivers in the NFL. So you, if you're the saints, you either have to get something significant for him or just try to weather the storm and, you know, hope that you can make amends with him and make him happy one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely the case. And if the alternative is trading Michael Thomas, this is where we get to the fun stuff with the cap. I mean, this is a this is a Saints team, bro. I, I know you've heard about it. Like, I don't know if other people have heard about it. The Saints are in bad cap shape. Like, yes, they cleared out. No way. They cleared the out uh, the no the team the team that uh, just seemed to add talent without any rhyme, you know, regard for uh, the hard cap over the past few years. They are they did clear out what hundred million dollars in cap space, but a lot of the way that they were able to do that was by taking players with big salaries like a Michael Thomas and moving their base salary into the future. And if you are someone who is not necessarily uh, a cap nerd like myself, what that means essentially is that the Saints have a lot of money due for Michael Thomas in the future, whether he plays for their team or not. You can't trade that away. That dead cap money, uh, if you deal Michael Thomas, accelerates onto your current cap and the following year's cap. So right now, uh, when it comes to trading Michael Thomas in the next couple of weeks, which I think is very unlikely, the Saints would owe $32.8 million in dead money for Michael Thomas if they traded him. 9.1 this year and $22.7 million in dead money next year. If they made the trade uh, next year, if they made the trade next spring and traded Michael Thomas, that would be... Uh, million again on their 2022 cap, or uh, you could spread that over two years and have it 8.9 million in 2022, 13.8 million in 2023. But I mean, this is a significant sum of money for a team that isn't in great cap shape next year. And oh, by the way, uh, both the quarterbacks you mentioned, who are not necessarily all that great uh, on paper, they're both free agents next year, too. So, I mean, like, with the Saints, uh, understandably, they went all in. They tried to win a, a, a championship with Drew Brees, and that did not work out. They tried their best. I can't fault them for that. Now we're dealing with the repercussions, and they still have this core of talent, but they're so leveraged on their seven or eight superstar players, their core guys, that I, I almost wonder if you have to try and make it work just because the financial alternative here is so scary. This is, I don't know that this is a team that can afford to eat $32 million or $22 million dead money over the next couple of years and still field a really functional offense. I would normally 1000% agree with you. And I, and I do, I don't, I don't condone what the saints do. Okay. (laughs) You're making it sound like they committed a crime. though. (laughs) (laughs) what they did. So let's, let's just, let's just be (laughs) honest. No. uh, So I'm just going to throw a couple other figures. I'm sorry that the, the money is very heavy right now, but so if they trade him, then they would have given him $43.1 million for a one year contract extension, Mm -hmm. which is not advisable for a wide receiver. And then the other thing I was reading, I think it was uh, PFF's Brad Spielberger, who's our, who's our cap guy. He, he put in an article, I believe, that if they traded him and if they had to take on that $22.7 million dead cap next season, then they would be $56 million already over the 2022 salary oh cap. And I'm sitting there being like, oh my God, like, how are they going to figure that out? But you just said it. They cleared $100 million this offseason. So for any other team, I would, I would wonder how they would possibly move forward, how they could even field a team next season, Mm -hmm. but the saints do, they just kind of figure it out. The issue is what we said earlier is that they've just got kind of this skeleton roster with nothing inside of it, no depth. And if you don't have drew Brees at quarterback, 
then I don't think that that's really a, a sustainable way to build a team moving forward. It helps if you have a cheaper quarterback than Drew Brees, but you have to find a cheaper quarterback who can be somewhat on the same level or at least a fraction of the same level of talent that Drew Brees has. So if they keep going this way, they really, really, really need to figure out the quarterback situation. And based on what they have right now, I think that a player like Jameis Winston has upside. I think that Taysom Hill has some upside. But we know for a fact that they are not going to be 75% of Drew Brees moving forward. They need to somehow find that 75% of Drew Brees who also comes on a cheap contract. And, and that's extremely difficult to find. Yes. If you're willing to pay your quarterback $5.5 million and have no depth up and down your roster, the Saints are absolutely... <laughs> The, the example of the cap situation you should follow. But yeah, I mean, it's such a fascinating situation. Like they're so unique. There's no other team in the NFL really like the Saints to me for better and for worse. And I think that, um, you know, they have these, these, these stars, they got to be good and they got to be healthy and they have to want to play for your organization. So, I mean, I, I think they would make it work if they had to, but I think the best thing for all parties involved would be Michael Thomas coming back uh, to the organization and being happy about it, but 100%. we will certainly see um, a different sort of situation where it seems like it's not quite as adversarial is in Pittsburgh with TJ Watt, who's holding out in training camp, which it seems like it's a uh, paradox to me. So please explain, Doug, how are NFL players holding out and not holding out at the same time? And what's changed about hold- holdouts now, as opposed to holdouts from the past? The, the popular term now is holding in. Yes. This means that players report to training camp, uh, but either do very little or do nothing at all. And TJ Watt is one of these examples. And it's kind of amazing because TJ Watt is one of the best defensive players in the NFL. But I feel like this has been possibly underreported mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Uh, TJ Watt right now is participating in individual drills <laughs> but sitting out of team drills. And the only reason that we really know that this is his plan is I think one of the Steelers position coaches just kind of dropped that piece of information at some point last week. And then Mike Tomlin was asked about it this week. Um, But it's, it's very interesting that this is now the strategy and it's because with the new CBA, I believe players are fined $50,000 every day that they don't show up and that money can't be recouped. The teams can't give that money back to a player. They would only really be able to give that money back in the contract extension, which would then count against their salary cap. So it's not really a good way of doing business. So, Mm -hmm. so for a player to not be getting fined $50,000 a day, which obviously adds up very quickly when training camp is 30, 40 days of the summer, these players report, but they don't really do anything. And yeah, we're seeing that with TJ Watt right now. We're seeing that with a couple of Seahawks players. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that we're seeing that with Stefan Gilmore right now, who's currently on the pup list. So it, it's, it's a better solution because at least the players can still be in meetings. At least they're still getting instruction, but they're not actually doing anything on the field. Like what, what, what is, what happens? Like, do they just walk off? Like, like, Oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom and then they don't come back. Like how, how does it actually manifest itself in terms of the situation? Cause it just feels so awkward and strange to me. Yeah. With Stefan Gilmore right now, since he's on the pub list, it's easier when a player's on the pub list because then they're, they're just kind of working off to the side. Mm-hmm. Stefan Gilmore, I think has been, you know, doing conditioning on a side field, then midway through practice, he'll come up with the rest of the guys who are on the pub list. Um, I honestly, I don't know how it works with a player like TJ Watt. I would assume that, you know, he goes through the motions, does all the individual drills and then just stands near his teammates for all of the team drills. And it's easy for teams to work around this and not really let people know what's going on because there are so many of those minor injuries in camp that you can usually just say like, uh, yeah, the guys are like for Stefan Gilmore, for example, he had a season ending quad injury last season. So it's very possible that he would have started this year or this summer on the pup list regardless. But um, yeah, I mean, and then a player like Xavier Howard is someone that it kind of worked out for. He did the same situation where all of a sudden he had an injury, wasn't able to practice, wanted a contract, wanted his contract to be adjusted, sat out with the ankle injury, then suddenly was back at practice mm-hmm. and got his contract adjusted. We saw something similar last year with Stefan Gilmore too, where mm-hmm. right before the season, 
a phantom. I think it was like a hamstring injury came up. He wasn't practicing anymore. They gave him $5 million and all of a sudden he was healthy again. So uh, this does seem to be an effective strategy for players at this point, but there's always the possibility that teams could catch on too and just say like, no, you're going out there. Otherwise don't show up and, and get fined. See how it goes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, of course, comes to mind as someone who had a back injury with the Jaguars, wanted to get traded. And then mysteriously, once he showed up in Los Angeles, whether it's the weather, um, maybe he got a really good massage or something, but that back injury just suddenly disappeared. So it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat in in Los Angeles. That's why it was, it was the humidity in Jacksonville. Uh, That does it. That does it. Um, And what I find interesting about this is you mentioned Gilmore. We're going to talk about him in a minute as well, but you know, Gilmore's in the final year of his deal and, and certainly a guy who, you know, it's kind of like, if you don't do it now, it's probably not going to happen. With the Steelers, you have a couple players here who are coming up for extensions who are just eligible for extensions now because it's their third season. Uh, they just finished their third season in the NFL, and it's TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, a you know, I, I don't know if you want to pick a better player of the two, but obviously two young superstars on the defensive side of the ball. Minka Fitzpatrick, of course, a safety. TJ Watt, an edge rusher. Minka Fitzpatrick, to my knowledge, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't think he's pursuing the same tactic, but TJ Watt is, even though the Steelers don't really have to give him an extension. They could leave him under contract for two more years, even franchise him before they would really have to consider an extension three or four years from now. So are you surprised to see one do it and not the other? And do you think eventually a Watt deal does get done over the summer before the season begins? I think it does. I think they figure it out. And I think that that just shows that the players know what the power structure is within the team, because we've even seen a report that the Joe Hayden wants a contract extension as well, but that he realizes that something has to get done with TJ Watt before it's his turn. So I think that the Steelers must be letting either the players or the players agents know that, listen, here's our priority. We got to bang out TJ Watt first. Then maybe we get to Joe Hayden and Minka Fitzpatrick, but it does seem like people know that TJ Watt is up first Mm -hmm. and the fact that they've let it get to this point. And the fact that, you know, if those other players or those other players agents even know that, then that tells me that the Steelers are at least willing to play ball and willing to figure this out with TJ Watt. So I, I do think that a deal gets done. I think that they, they do this. And I, I don't think that TJ Watt would hold in if he didn't think that it was at least possible mm-hmm. that a deal would get done. He doesn't seem to be that type of player who would cause a massive issue like this if he didn't think that um, it was going to get solved. Are you surprised the Steelers let it get to this point? Yeah, I guess that's, that is a good point. Um, because clearly they could have done something earlier in the off season. Uh, but you know, these contracts can be so difficult. And I, I think that they're still at the point where it's TJ Watt. He's been mm-hmm. in the system for so long. He knows what he's doing. He's got over 13 sacks over the last three years. Like it's not that paramount that he's on the practice field at this point. Uh, it, if this lingers longer into the season, then I guess you could wonder why they didn't get it done now. But I do think that they're still at a pretty safe point with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, you mentioned Gilmore. And I want to finish up here talking about maybe some of the guys who either could get extensions or could be on the move. I think a few players around the NFL who have been subject to trade talks or trade discussion. And I want to know what you think about the chances that they'll be maybe either on their current team or get an extension or what will happen with these guys in the weeks to come. And let's start with Stefan Gilmore, of course, the star cornerback for the New England Patriots, recent defensive player of the year, but a guy who's coming up to the final year of the free agent contract he signed several years ago. And we know Bill Belichick is not afraid or opposed to trading star players when he thinks that their time with the team is coming to an end. So uh, what do you think goes into the calculus here for the Patriots? And what do you think happens with Gilmore uh, for the 2021 season? I think the Patriots are are almost kind of stuck right now where they need to figure this out with Stefan Gilmore. And it's, they're not perfect examples, but it is somewhat similar to the Xavier Howard situation because those defenses, the Brian Flores defense or the Bill Belichick defense, 
need those two cornerbacks mm-hmm. who are adept in man coverage. And the Dolphins have it, and, and Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, and the Patriots should have it with J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore. If they trade Stephon Gilmore or if these issues linger into the season and he misses time, then they don't have much behind Stephon Gilmore. Right now in training camp, Jalen Mills has been that number two cornerback and Jalen Mills really kind of struggled as a cornerback at times with the Philadelphia Eagles, which mm-hmm. is why he was moved into more of a hybrid safety slot cornerback, jack of all trades type role. And Jalen Mills actually made a couple of plays uh, when I was at practice on Monday, but overall I've heard that he has kind of struggled this season uh, or this training camp uh, for the Patriots. And that's understandable. He wasn't a great man coverage outside cornerback with the Philadelphia Eagles. If you go beyond him, then Joan Williams was a second round pick in 2019. who really hasn't worked out. And then you're getting into guys like Miles Bryant, who's more of a safety or slot option. Mike Jackson Sr., who was a fifth round pick uh, a few years ago, but has kind of bounced on and off practice squads. The, the issue for the Patriots is that they really don't have great depth at the cornerback position beyond Gilmore, JC Jackson, and their slot cornerback, Jonathan Jones. So that tells me, that just the fact that the Patriots didn't address that position more this offseason mm-hmm. tells me that the Patriots think that this can be settled. And I, I think that that is the sense within the building is that one way or the other, they'll figure this out, they'll get him what he needs, and, and he'll be back by the time the season starts. So do you think it'll be just for this upcoming season and then kind of the two parties will part ways? I think that's definitely a possibility. I think that that's in play. I think that, I think that, the Gilmore's camp would be open to something similar to last year where he just gets a raise uh, and the Patriots make him happy. I also think that he'd be fine with a contract extension if they want to pay him like a Xavier Howard, if they want to pay him like a Darius Slay. I'm not sure if the Patriots are going to want to do that for an older cornerback who, who is coming off the quad injury. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd say that the more likely scenario is that this is another kind of one-year deal, then they'll figure it out in the future. Uh, but I do think it's possible that they reach a contract extension. I don't think it's off the table by any means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J.C. Jackson, of course, as well, yep. uh, about to hit free agency after an impressive season a year ago. Um, on the other side of the ball for the Patriots, we should talk about Inkilary, who uh, put out a trade request earlier this <laughs> summer. Um, I was intrigued. Uh, certainly, um, I think one of the all-time great press releases in terms of agents uh, backing their players, talking about how they were uncoverable. Uh, but what about Nikhil Harry uh, has stood out to you? Do you think he's on the Patriots week one? I think he is. Um, he's had a pretty good training camp. He's been one of the standout players this summer. Uh, at the same time, he's just kind of buried on the depth chart behind the guys that they brought in this offseason. Uh, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers would be above him on the depth chart. So you're really looking at him as being, you know, the fourth or fifth option. Uh, the Patriots don't have a lot of depth at wide receiver beyond Nikhil Harry. So I, I do think that he probably sticks around at this point. If you're only going to get a low draft pick for him anyway, which I think is the most that any team would probably be willing to give up for Harry in, unless he just absolutely blows up in the three preseason games. Mm-hmm. then I think you're better off keeping the depth and kind of saving face by keeping the first round pick that you took two years ago, rather than dealing him at this point for a sixth or seventh round pick. I'd Mm -hmm. say that maybe if there's some sort of player for player deal that could work out, um, you know, we, we mentioned CJ Henderson earlier. Uh, James Washington is another player who's reportedly requested a trade. There's some wide receivers on the Arizona Cardinals that maybe uh, could be made available. That would make the most sense to me if it's a player for player swap. But if you're only dealing with a draft pick, which most of these trades are, then I think that you're better off just keeping him on the roster. Mm-hmm. A guy who was reportedly, you know, or maybe not, maybe not reportedly, but logically, available for a late round pick heading into the offseason was Zach Ertz, um, who has a big cap hit in the final year of his deal with the Eagles. seems like we've been waiting all summer for a Zach Ertz trade to happen. And here we are in the middle of training camp and Zach Ertz is still on the Philadelphia Eagles roster. So, I mean, given what you're hearing, given what you think, uh, is Zach Ertz going to be on the Eagles this season? Or do you think it's just a game of chicken and they're going to wait until the last possible second before uh, possibly making a move with their star tight end? 
earlier this summer, there was a report that, oh, actually, Zach Ertz is really happy. They're not going <laughs> to trade him. Like, he's, he's, he's really happy to be in Philly. Everything's great. And it, it sort of felt like that was coming a little bit more from the Eagles' side than it might have been coming uh, from the players' side. So mm-hmm. I think that the Eagles would be fine with keeping Zach Ertz. And I think that, you know, that would give them their, their two uh, tight ends. But I, I'm not... 100% convinced that Zach Ertz is overly happy to be an Eagle. Um, that being said, if he doesn't get traded, then there's not a lot that he can do at this point. So I, in all these situations, I know it's kind of a cop-out, but a trade is always less likely than no trade. Mm-hmm. So I would probably in this instance, just lead, lean towards the fact that he'll probably be on the Eagles this season. But I also don't think that all is well there between Zach Ertz and the Eagles right now. Yeah. I mean, hard to hard to believe that he would suddenly be thrilled with this organization that is not willing to give him a contract extension after he was one of the best tight ends in football. But who knows? Maybe yes. that is actually something that he likes. Uh, let's finish up here with a couple of quarterbacks. And I mean, uh, a evolving situation, an ongoing situation, of course, uh, around a couple of teams. The Colts losing Carson Wentz to a foot injury. I know there were some reports uh, today that he might be coming back earlier in the season than expected might be around for week one. Um, the Niners, of course, dealing with uh, Trey Lanson camp, Jimmy Garoppolo status with the team uncertain. Um, they've said repeatedly that it is actually certain and that they're going to keep him uh, even though he has a 25.1 believe million dollar uh, cap hit and salary for the 2021 season. So, with these guys, with Garoppolo, with Foles, with the quarterbacks on the whole, I mean, what are the chances that we do see a trade or a cut happening before the season? Or do you think it's just going to be everyone kind of staying put in their current spot? Um, I definitely would not be surprised if there was some sort of quarterback deal before the season starts. And, and Nick Foles is the one that I would look to as being the the best possibility because I mean he was essentially I think the last time he spoke to the media he was he was basically begging to be traded <laughs> to the Indianapolis Colts he was like slapping his resume on the table and and saying how much he he loved uh Frank Reich so I I think that he's the one like I said that it would be the most logical especially if Justin Fields starts to move up that quarterback depth chart, which I've heard is, is a possibility that he could start getting uh, some first team reps. Uh, then, you know, Nick Foles is just completely stuck in, in no man's land is that, is that number three quarterback. And, and like you said, in that press conference, he's just going to keep ripping up those, those third team defenses, but clearly he's not very happy doing it. Um, it, it does seem like Carson Wentz, according to the reports from Chris Mortensen this morning, uh, is that you know he'll be ready to start the season. So that certainly resolves that issue to a certain extent. I do still think that what the Colts did this offseason by you know trading or, or you know adding one of the worst quarterback starting quarterbacks in the NFL last season, mm-hmm. who's injury prone, mm-hmm. and then also letting Jacoby Brissett walk in free agency to the Dolphins while only having Jacob Eason, a fourth-round pick, and Sam Ellinger behind that guy who was one of the worst starters in the NFL last season, who's also injury-prone, was just a really bizarre situation. I, I think that they really needed to do something about that backup quarterback uh, you know, position. That being said, it would be extremely awkward if Nick Foles suddenly came to Indianapolis to be Carson Wentz's backup again. I don't think that that's really what, what Carson Wentz uh, is looking for at this point to have that guy breathing down his neck again. Um, and then as far as the 49ers goes, I think that they are going to start Jimmy Garoppolo this season. I tend to believe them in, in that situation. Mm-hmm. It seems like Trey Lance still is not getting those first team reps. And at this point, I know that we're still a month away from the season, but if he's not getting those at this point, then they're kind of running out of time before that starts to happen. Because uh, like I said before, I was at Patriots camp on Monday mm-hmm. and you know, Mac Jones is getting first team reps. He's getting reps against the first team defense. So they're at least, you know, entertaining the possibility that Mac Jones could be the first stringer. If the 49ers aren't even doing that, if they're not even entertaining that possibility, then I think that that is them sending a message to their quarterbacks that, Jimmy, you are the guy, Trey Lance, you are the future. And essentially what I've heard from there too, is that 
it's that Trey Lance is going to be really good. Maybe mm-hmm. not that he's ready right now, but he is going to be great, but it just might not be a present situation. I mean, I hope so. I hope they, <laughs> right. they, would, they wouldn't be like, oh, we traded three first round picks for this guy. Oh man, he <laughs> sucks. He's so bad. There are other teams though that who who could use a backup quarterback. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys could use a backup quarterback, right? I'm sure there's there's a number of other teams. Even like the Washington football team. I know that they added Tyler Taylor Heineke this season, but Mm -hmm. yeah, there are other teams that could use Nick Foles, and I think that the Bears should definitely try to flex that to move him at some point this summer. Absolutely. I mean, I'm shocked they weren't able to make a trade already, but certainly. Uh, if anybody should be trading a quarterback before the season, it's the Chicago Bears and Nick Foles. So uh, agree 100%. I think we'll see. I mean, the Garoppolo thing is fascinating because I, I agree with you. You know, like I do think the Niners in their heart of hearts want to start Jimmy Garoppolo in 2021, but you go through history. Jimmy Garoppolo has been the starter for his team in September, week one, four times. He's made it out of September without getting injured once. Um, that's scary. And I think the, the worst case scenario for the Niners is that they keep Jimmy Garoppolo around. They pay him that $25 million and he starts like two games and they go to Trey Lance anyway. Um, and that is maybe the most likely outcome given his history. So uh, I, this very fascinating game of chicken to me um, happening with the Niners. But I think you made a really good point when it comes to who's getting reps and what that means. And uh, I, I would expect Jimmy Garoppolo at this point to be the week one starter for the San Francisco 49ers, unless they get a crazy trade offer. Maybe that'll happen. I don't know. But uh, a lot to happen still in the weeks to come before the season begins. And Doug, you will be covering the NFL season on the whole. What will you be doing for Pro Football Focus this year? And how can people check it out? Yeah, I will be, uh, you know, reporting on all of the biggest stories uh, in the NFL this year. I'll be writing a lot of features uh, on this week. I've got something coming on Alex Highsmith, who's a really uh, interesting second year breakout potential player for the Steelers. Uh, just, you know, trying to write as many interesting stories as possible. So check that out on pff.com. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide. Uh, me, Ari Mayrove, and Brad Spielberger are going to be doing a Twitter QA every Monday around noontime on Periscope. So certainly watch that. And I think if all goes as planned next week, I'll be. Uh, checking out some other training camps on the West coast. So watch out for that as well. Awesome. Well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. This was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks so much as always to my friend, Doug Kide of pro football focus, check out Doug's work Doug did excellent work covering the Patriots the past few years. I think he's going to do great work on the national beat for PFF as well. I'm actually off next week, but we will have more audio coming in two weeks finally getting to preseason interesting stuff happening weird trade requests michael thomas stuff all kinds of fascinating things happening in the nfl every single week plenty of contracts still to come we'll break down all that and preview the 2021 regular season which is several weeks away now i believe one two three four weeks and one day away as i record this the nfl regular season will begin talking about it here on the Bill Barnwell Show. Thanks so much for listening and more audio on the way in a couple of weeks.